Please turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'd like to speak to you in this portion of God's Word on the theme of the Holy Spirit. Let's read uh, from verse 1 to 14, and we'll pray. Begins, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? By the flesh? Did you suffer or experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5 Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Thus far we read God's word this evening. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, we look into this passage in your word, we pray that uh, even as Paul begins this letter with a word of prayer and blessing, that praying that God's grace, may grace and peace be multiplied. We do ask, Lord, that you would Multiply your grace and your peace uh, to us. We do pray that, uh, as even as we've read in Exodus, how you built the tabernacle, we do ask that you would use this word and this time to build up your people, that all things, even this preaching and hearing, would be unto edification for the sake of your name and also for 
how good. We do ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. You would show us, you teach us. We pray that we would not only speak about the Holy Spirit, but that he would be present with us according to your promise, taking the things of Christ and bringing them home to our hearts. We do ask that you will uh, show us yourself and bless us. Lord, we do pray also for any hearing who are not in Christ, who are still under the curse of the law. We pray that you would so present Christ before them, that they would trust in him, and that they also would receive forgiveness of sin, and the gift and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Hear us now, we pray and ask in Christ's name, amen. said that I would be speaking from this passage on the theme of the Holy Spirit, but not on the Spirit in isolation, because Paul does not just speak about the Holy Spirit in this passage. In fact, if I was to ask any of you what this chapter is about, what the book of Galatians is about, that uh, may not be the first thing you would say, and you would be right. Uh, Paul does not speak about the Spirit here in isolation, and I'm not going to speak about the Holy Spirit in isolation. Rather, he speaks about the Holy Spirit in connection with the themes of justification through faith in the crucified Christ. That is the theme that he has been uh, pursuing so far in the letter. And yet, in this section, we do see him bringing before us these twin blessings justification, forgiveness of sin, and all that's involved in justification, and also blessing, gift of the Holy Spirit, both of which are in Christ Jesus. And so we'll be uh, considering this theme of the Holy Spirit alongside and together with those themes. However, I do want to highlight and focus on uh, the Holy Spirit as we come to this passage. I do believe that's uh, that's necessary and good for us to do. Uh, what, a, what a blessing the Holy Spirit is to God's people. What a gift that Christ Jesus gives to us as His children. And so it's good for us to just focus our eyes on this precious gift of the Spirit. We're going to we're considering the Holy Spirit in this, in this uh, chapter under three, three main headings. Uh, we'll think about the Holy Spirit promised, and then we'll think about the Holy Spirit purchased, and then we'll think about the Holy Spirit provided. The Holy Spirit promised, purchased, and provided in this chapter, these uh, first 14 verses. Now, in this letter, as many of you know, uh, all writing to the churches of Galatia, he is writing passionately proclaiming and defending the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how he came, how he lived, how he died, crucified, how he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, and how it's through faith in him that sinners find forgiveness of sin, justification. 
righteousness, the righteousness of God, and are counted right before God and receive all the blessing of God's people. So Paul had preached this gospel to the Galatians. He indicates that even in first verse of uh, passage, that he had, as it were, portrayed, pictured Christ before them as crucified. So Paul had been there. He had preached the gospel to them. Gospel, the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. However, false teachers had come in and were corrupting and distorting this message. And they were teaching that faith alone in Christ, in the crucified Christ, is not sufficient for righteousness for, before God, for being counted right before God, to be one of God's people. They were teaching rather that Gentiles needed to be circumcised and uh, obey God's law, including ceremonial and even just God's moral law. They needed to do that in order to be justified. That, that's important, in order to be justified. And Paul saying, no, this is, this is wrong. This is not right. And so throughout the letter, he's proclaiming, he's defending this message of free grace in Christ Jesus for sinners. And he does this, this proclamation, this defense in, in different ways. Uh, at times, it's just a plain, direct statement of what, what this gospel is. He, he just lays it out there. For example, in the beginning of uh, in Galatians 1, uh, look at verse 3 and 4. That's really quite the statement of gospel. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself our sins to deliver us from this present evil age or evil world according to the will of, of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. It's, it's the message concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the God's answer to the sin problem. So he does that, just claiming the gospel. As someone has said, it, the best way to expose a crooked stick is to put a straight one right beside it. And so Paul is doing that constantly in the gospel. But he's also, he speaks about his testimony in chapter 1, a testimony which anyone who knew him, what he was before, could, could see and, and, and see the power of this gospel and the reality of it. He also states plainly how his message is not from man. In chapter 1, he says that I did not receive this message from man, but by a revelation of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he, he appeals to what God has been doing, not only through him, but through the other apostles, such as Peter, in the midst of that uh, disagreement there in chapter 2. And then in, towards the end of chapter 2, before we get to our passage there in 21, he says, our righteousness is not through the law, otherwise Christ died for no purpose. So different ways that he is bringing, he is clarifying that he is defending the gospel. And then when we come to our chapter here, he argues for this truth, this message of God's free grace in Christ alone, this gospel. He argues it, I could say, from, kind of from two sides one, from, he argues from Scripture. You see a string of scriptural quotations that we have there, some from Genesis, some from Deuteronomy, one from Habakkuk. So from Scripture, he also argues with these Galatians from their experience. 
He speaks about their experience. Now, two elements of their experience that he, he brings out. One, which we'll not be considering much, is the one he mentions in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? So at the beginning of their Christian life, perhaps they underwent persecution for holding to this gospel. He is appealing to that as well. But the other argument from experience is concerning the Holy Spirit, their experience of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 2, he asks this rhetorical question. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, remember he's arguing for the truth of this gospel, that it's through faith in Christ that we're made right with God, yet he appeals to their experience of the Holy Spirit. Look at it again in, in verse 3. He says they began in the Spirit. And then later on, leave in verse 5, he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by the works of the Lord, by hearing with faith. So you see there then this argument from the Spirit, and that's, that's what, I'm, what I'm taking and, and wanting us to, to see this, this evening. Now, I mentioned an argument from suffering. Note if, if you have, a, some Bibles have a footnote there on verse 4, that this word suffer here uh, can actually mean just experience. It's the word we get uh, Words like pathos. Um, it's, so that word can mean experience. So the verse could be read, did you experience so many things in vain? And so some take it to be that in verse 4, Paul is still speaking about their experience of the work of the Spirit among them. Uh, just like, you, so in verse 3, did you begin in the Spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you, that word could be experienced. And so I do, I do lean on that side just of the context that he may be, even in that verse, not speaking about their experience of suffering, but their experience of the work of the Spirit. But they could go uh, either way. So let, let, let's be clear. We, we get the, the argument. Why does, he, why does he speak about the Spirit here? He's saying, you have received the Spirit. You have received the Holy Spirit. He takes that as a fact. He can say to believers, you have. You have received the Holy Spirit Verse 2, that, that question assumes that. Did you re receive the Spirit by works of the law? He's not asking whether they received the Spirit. How? How did they uh, receive uh, the Holy Spirit? And so what he is, and then, and then, and then he, he takes this as the evidence of their being justified. And we shall see how, how, how these two connect the blessing of Spirit and justification. But that's how he brings in the Holy Spirit is as evidence of justification. And then he argues that the same means that you received the Spirit is the same means by which you were justified. So how did you receive the Spirit? Did you, did you work for it? Did, did, you, did, did you do certain things to, to earn this gift? They know. How, how then? Do you receive the Spirit? He says, it's by hearing with faith. Verse 2, that's how verse 2 ends. It's through faith that you receive the Spirit. And therefore, it's also through faith then that you are justified. We shall see this uh, developed 
rather. But I said, we'll look at it under three headings. Spirit promise, the spirit purchase, the spirit provided. Now, that's not the order that Paul uses. As, as we see there, he begins with their experience of the spirit or their, the, the provision, how God supplied, gave, provided the spirit to them in verse 5. Those are verses that we looked at. So, so that's where he begins. Then as he develops, if you look at the end in verse 14, he also speaks about receiving the promise of the Spirit there. Then in between, he does speak about the promise, and then also about how Christ became a curse for us to make this possible. So not exactly the order uh, that he gives, but that's makes uh, sense to me, and I hope to you, just chronologically, going back to look at the promise of the Spirit, and then the purchase, and then eventually the provision. But children, like uh, when your parents are about to give you a gift, I remember me and my brother wanting to have a bicycle so much. I didn't have one uh, for a long time until I was almost in high school. We wanted to have one, and my brother and I would sit and times just think, well, where would we go? Oh, what would we do if we had one? And then, and then at some point, my, my mother promised us, promised us uh, a bike. And then eventually, there came a time when she bought one. And then there was a day when we received one bike pair between the two of us. So promise, purchase, provisions. Let, let's, let's begin then with uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, promised. And here, the main idea I want you to get from here is that the Abrahamic promise, the promise of blessing for the Gentiles given to Abraham included the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, look Look at how uh, Paul argues in, in verse 6. So having spoken about um, the reception of the Spirit by hearing with faith in verse 6, he says, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in verse 7 he says, those of faith are the sons of Abraham. And then in verse 8 he says that Scripture or soul God would justify the Gentiles through faith and preach this good news to Abraham. That's, that's the language of verse 8. Preach the gospel beforehand Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So, as part of his argument for justification by faith, Paul brings in Abraham, he says, this is how Abraham himself was justified, verse 6. And then he brings in uh, this promise that was given to Abraham that the Gentiles would be blessed in him. Now, in the immediate, he brings it to point to the blessing of justification. That's, that's, that's what's happening in the immediate. But I hope we shall see, and I'm arguing here, that this promise of justification for the Gentiles involved, included also the blessing of the Spirit. If you look at verse 14, it speaks there about the blessing of Abraham. And the verse closes with 
mention of the promised Spirit through faith. Now, the Holy Spirit in Scripture is called many things. In John 14, we have him called the Spirit of Truth. He's called the Comforter. He is called, in Romans 8, the Spirit of Life. Uh, he is called, um, in Hebrews 10, 29, the Spirit of Grace. Uh, he is called, in Galatians 4, the, the next chapter, the, the Spirit of God's Son. So different designations of the Holy Spirit. But here, towards the end of verse 14, we have him tied with this idea of promise, that he was promised. And it's not the only place in Scripture that we have the Spirit called the Spirit of promise or connected to God's promise. If you look at Acts chapter 1, for example, Christ about to ascend, and what does he tell the disciples to do? To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Now, how... How is the promise of justification given to Abraham, that the Gentiles will be blessed in him? And Paul argues that that means justified through Abraham, and we shall see how, how that comes about. How does that include the blessing of the Holy Spirit? Again, context. Paul says, how did you receive the Spirit? And he, and he uses this to bring together that the means of justification and reception of the Holy Spirit is one. And I would admit to you that the way that they are connected is this, that God is not going to give the blessing of the Spirit or any other blessing to those who are at enmity with Him. God is not giving the blessing of the Spirit to those who are at enmity with him. That, that has to be dealt with. That has to be taken care of. And then all blessing can be received. All blessing received once justified. Justification is what removes the barrier, the legal barrier between us and God so that we may be indeed blessed that God may be our God, which was central to the promise to Abraham. God may be our God, but how can that be while there's still a legal barrier, while there's still condemnation, while there's still enmity? So this promise for Gentiles to be blessed in Abraham included justification, Following from that, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that Paul can speak of them in one breath. And in fact, we do see this in other places in Scripture where justification is soon followed by statements concerning the blessing and gift of the Holy Spirit. A good place to see this uh, is in Romans 4, transitioning to chapter 5, Romans 4 big on justification, which also mentions Abraham there. And Paul begins with a therefore in chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
goes on and towards the end there mentions how God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Justified, received the Holy Spirit. Before justification, we're, we're enemies of God, not at peace with Him. Once justified, enmity removed, God can give Himself to us. He comes. Holy Spirit dwell in His people. He comes with His life-giving presence. You see, in justification, as God counts that righteousness of Christ to us and removes all our sin, cancels all our sin debt, then He becomes completely, 100% for us. Christian, God is 100% for you. Romans 8. God is for us. Why? Because we're justified. And so He comes in the person of His Spirit to us. And that is true blessing. So that's the first thing under this heading of promise to see a twofold blessing, justification, blessing of the Spirit. The second thing to say under this heading of promise is that this blessing is going to be true one offspring, one seed of Abraham. And here we're going beyond the bounds of our text to verse 16, where, where Paul writes this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to, one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promises were made to one offspring of Abraham. And then it is through that offspring then that Gentiles are blessed with those blessings of justification and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is how blessing is given. The, the promise to Abraham is itself a forward movement of the promise in Genesis 3.15 of a seed of a woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12 is, is a progression of that. It's a narrowing down into one family, into Abraham, Abraham's family. And then this goes on in the rest of, of the story of the Bible, Isaac. And Jacob, and, and then all the way down, David and Judah, one in the house of Judah, David, one in the house of David, who is this seed of Abraham through whom blessing would come. This blessing, we see it most fully promised in, in the new covenant, which what are some of the chief blessings of the new covenant? If we go to Jeremiah 31 and places like that, is it not forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit? All of that through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Do, do you see then? Do, we, do you see then why Paul can say, Here, I came, I preached Christ to you, the crucified one. And what did you receive from him through faith? Forgiveness of sin. What else? The gift of the Spirit. The promises are being found and fulfilled in Jesus 
Christ. Remember Peter on the day of Pentecost saying there how Christ being exalted the right hand of God has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and he has poured out this promise to you. So, that's our first heading, then the, the Spirit promised, the blessing of the Spirit promised. Second, let's think about the blessing of the Spirit purchased. Remember, children, we said gift, we promised, and then one pays a cost, retain it, and then the gift is given. Let's think about blessing of the Spirit purchased. Here, the, the big thought, the main idea here is this. Jesus Christ died to purchase or to obtain the Holy Spirit for you, believer. I don't know if we think about this sufficiently. I know I, I don't enough think about that one of the reasons Jesus Christ died is to obtain the Holy Spirit for me. So under this heading, let's think about who, who, who made this purchase and why. Why was it necessary? And then how did he make this purchase? It's, it's Jesus Christ. And here I'm calling our attention to those verses uh, in 10 onward where Paul says this, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you go down to verse 14, right after speaking in verse 13 about how Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, he says in verse 14, so that, you see that, so that Christ's death bearing the curse in verse 13 was so that. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Who did this? The eternal Son of God, a man, came and lived in this sinful world, living perfectly, obeying, fulfilling the whole law. This Son of God who was always with the Father, who at glory, who was there at creation, who upholds all things by the word of his power. This holy one came down. This one is the one who became man for us and for our salvation. This one is he who came to make it possible for you, believer, to have the Spirit. Why? Why did there need to be a purchase cost? Well, it's because the law of God had to be satisfied. Justice had to be served. God be true to himself. He would be righteous in both in forgiving and in giving and in coming to dwell in fellowship and to give life to sinners uh, like you and me. How could the Spirit be given to those who deserve death, the Spirit of life? How could blessing be given to those who deserve us? How could such a gift be given 
to the condemned, to the guilty? How could the Holy Spirit come and dwell in the hearts of condemned criminals without something being done about it? No. Christ paid the price. How? Words of our passage speak about it in terms of the curse, that he became a curse for us. According to verse 10, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's all of us. All of us cut from Christ. And so Christ came, and in Hebrews 10, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. Christ alone could say in John 17, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished all you gave me to do. So he obeyed the law fully, and therefore he deserved to live. For he, he of himself should not have been under the curse of the law because he did abide by all things written in the book of the law and did them. Did. So he dies not for his own sins, but for you, believer. He became a curse. And then Paul in verse 13 quotes Deuteronomy 21 that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There were other quotations there. I did not turn us to them. This one in Deuteronomy, I think, would be helpful for us to see so that we, may, we might get a feel, and believers, think about it. Actually, think about it, what it is that we deserve. Deuteronomy 21. Verse 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree. You shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now let me ask you this. Had Jesus, did Jesus commit a crime punishable by death? Did he? No. Part of the reason he died, he had to die not a natural death, but had to go through the legal process, was taken to courts of law so that there would be a trial, so that his death would be in a judicial context. Because he was dying as a representative in a legal way for unjust men. Yes, yes, those courts had fabricated evidence and, and all of that, and yet the legal proceeding, that's, that's important to see in the atonement so that there would be a public legal record and declaration of innocence even before human authorities, and yet with a falsified sentence of condemnation. So Christ died unjustly at the hands of men, but substitutionarily, by God executing judgment upon him, for he is the legal representative of his people. 
about us. Have we committed sins, crimes punishable by death, as it says there in Deuteronomy? Yes. What kinds of sins? In Romans 1, after listing idolatry and homosexuality, it says this. The list goes on, and we find ourselves there. It says this, and, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. On there, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they don't only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Those are the kinds of things. You could go to Galatians 5 and see that list of the works of the flesh. Those are things, crimes, that are punishable by death. I mean, in terms of God's judgment and eternal judgment. Uh, in civil judgment, uh, even in, under the law, not all crimes deserve death. But before God, which is what we're looking at when we think about justification, every sin forfeits life, deserves death, for the wages of sin is death. So, where, where can we go to see what the curse of the law looks like? Who can describe it? I know I cannot fully describe what it is to be under the curse of the law. We do see glimpses of it in when we look at God's judgments throughout Scripture. When Adam and Eve are cast out of Eden, oh, we're seeing something of what it means to be under the curse of God's law. When the old world is flooded during Noah's time, that's a splash of God's curse. When Abraham looks over Sodom and Gomorrah and he sees a smoke coming up, that's a glimmer of the curse of God's law. When Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 19, stands in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which becomes uh, the proverbial place that gives the word Gehenna for hell in the New Testament, when Jeremiah stands there and is told by the Lord, you shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And Jeremiah pronounces those awful, awful things that would happen to Jerusalem and Judah under the Babylonians, we're seeing some glimmer of what it is to be under the curse of the law. And when we say the curse of the law, some people will um, you know, not be comfortable with, with saying that God curses, wanting God to be just a God of blessing. They 
look at this and they say, it doesn't say God's curse, but the curse of the law. However, I agree with uh, John Stott who says, who says this, the law ne- can never be isolated from God, for the law is God's law, the expression of his moral nature and will. What the law says, God says. What the law blesses, God blesses. And what the law curses, God curses. So when it says there, the curse of the law, that's, that's God's curse because of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It's God executing punishment against sin. And so, those, those things that we mentioned that are, that are glimmers of the curse of God's law, the curse of God, how about the weeping, gnashing of teeth in hell? That's another place we see the curse of God. But, as the hymn writer says, if, it w- if we would see it most rightly and mo- most perfectly, we should look at the cross of Christ Jesus, the curse of God's law against the substitute, Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. He became us for you and me, believer. As the hymn writer again says, uh, you who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here they view its nature rightly, here its guilt they estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Word, the Lord's anointed Son of Man and Son of God, Jesus Christ, became a curse for me, for you, believer, and that, so that you might receive promised spirit. What a thing. What has Christ done for us? I know I don't feel it as I ought to. What I've been redeemed from, what I've been saved from. As McShane says, it's only that day of judgment when we see the wicked cast into hell that we'll know fully what it is that we have been redeemed from by Christ, and he did that so that we would only be forgiven and God would come to dwell in us by the Spirit. This brings us to our last point, more briefly, the Holy Spirit provided and received. Remember how we saw Paul tells these believers that they have received the Spirit. It's a fact. They have received the Holy Spirit. Then he asked them, how? How does one receive the Holy Spirit? And the answer is by hearing with faith. Hearing with faith. So that someone can have walked in here this evening, lost, still under the curse of the law, condemned on the way to hell, not having the Spirit of God. You could have walked in here like that this evening. And then here the message about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the Son of God who died in the place of sinners. You can hear that today, that He rose again from the dead and that He is alive now and on the basis of what He did, you can be forgiven. And you can, you can hear that and say, I believe that. 
That is true, and I need that. And I rest my soul on Jesus Christ. I'm not going to try to earn my way to heaven. I, I, I can't save myself. Jesus Christ crucified. And you can, you can look at yourself. You came in here dead in sin and trespasses, enslaved to sin, having no righteous desires in yourself, having no, no desire to obey God, having no power to live the Christian life, having no unspeakable joy and peace and love that, that Paul speaks about in Galatians 5. You can, you can have come here dead as a doornail spiritually, and you hear a message about Jesus Christ, and you believe in him, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's what it says. You hear Christ proclaimed, he is presented before you, you believe in him, and receive forgiveness of sin, justification, the gift of the Holy Spirit message of Christ, the gospel. That, 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 that's part of why Paul was so worked up about the distortion of this message. Because he knows it's the only hope for sinners. It's the only hope for you and me. And so, it's, it's the same Christ risen. It's faith in Him. It's through faith in Him that we receive those twin Blessings, justification, and the gift of the Spirit. Let me close with some applications here. We bring these uh, truths home to our hearts. First thing, uh, this should be for our examination. What we've seen here of the promise and the purchase and the provision of the Spirit should be for our examination. I mean, you need to ask yourself, do I do I have the Holy Spirit? Paul assumed the Galatian Christians did. Do I have the Holy Spirit? And we could say it another way. Am I justified? Are my sins forgiven? And as we've seen, those, those are connected truths. And there are, there are things in Scripture that we could test ourselves by. Am I, am I trusting Christ? Is my hope? In Jesus Christ. That's, that's one way to know. The other is think about the fruits of the Spirit. Even in Galatians 5, we can, we can look at our lives. I like to think of the, the whole question of assurance, and this is related to that. Uh, it's helpful to think of uh, three W's. We, 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 we get assurance. We are confirmed in assurance thinking about just the Word, the naked Word of God, the promises of God. Am I believing what God says? The Word. Then also there's the witness, the witness of the Spirit, with our spirits that we are children of God. Galatians 4 goes on to say that since your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, the witness of the Spirit. The second W is walk. Walk the the evidences in our life that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is at work in us. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, are you seeing those increasingly? Is there, is, are there desires for the, for the Word of God? Are there, is there a measure of love and joy and peace and patience? Is there, are those things present? And, and everything else, is set, the Scripture says, is the work of the Spirit. So our examination and thinking about assurance 
in those ways. But also for our information. I think sometimes we can put down information when we hear a sermon. But it's important to know certain things, and I hope that looking at this passage does, does help to see some things. For example, just the unity of God's work, God's plan of salvation running all the way and through Adam down to Christ and how, we, how these things are connected. I think this is it's helpful to see those truths. They ground us. They, they show us God's salvation in a way that it's grounding and, and helpful. But also, uh, this should be an exhortation to you personally, to you as a church as well. Galatians were being taken away from this gospel, right? Why Paul is writing to them. And so I call you to hold to this gospel of grace, since through it you receive such blessing through faith in Christ. So go on in that way. Go on in that way. So Paul tells them, having began this way, do you want to go another way? So it's helpful. Scripture does call us to think about how we began and go on in the same way. Colossians chapter 2, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. But also, another thought here is, to you, unbeliever, there's both warning and invitation here. There's warning because you are under the curse of the law. And that's not a good place to be. Right now, while you're still breathing, there's a way out. There's one who became a curse so that you can receive blessing. Trust him. Jesus Christ is being freely offered, presented to you today, for you to take by faith to rest in him. But also, this should be believers for our praise and thanks to God. Thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and seeing that this is all because of what Jesus has done for us. Let me ask you, Christian, what has the Holy Spirit done for you? Think about some of the things. Convicting you of sin, giving you saving faith, teaching you. You're not what, what you were. You've learned something of God's ways, and you're growing. He brings Scripture to mind. He brings things to remembrance in your day-to-day life. He produces those fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has helped you to put sin to death. There are certain sins that used to plague you and were besetting to you that you can look and see how by the Spirit you've been putting sin to death. Amen. And this is because of what Jesus Christ did for you. To give you this blessing. He is working in you. He's showing you more of Christ. Isn't that the work of the Spirit? Last believers, how about the sweet consolations of the gospel you have received, Christian? Sometimes in the deepest trials, maybe even right now, yet truth comes to your heart by the Spirit and encourages you. Spirit comforting. How about those tastes of joy that you sometimes know, whether privately or in worship or singing a song or just beholding God's creation? Where is that from? of God. How about the gifts 
he has given you to serve others? How about the gifts that he has given others that served you and ministered to you? This help as you either taught or preached or ministered in another way using your gift. This is the Holy Spirit who is doing these things. We ought to give thanks to Christ for this precious gift. Finally, and we close here, this should be, and I love, I love this, uh, this thought, this truth, and it is this, thought of what heaven and the eternal state will be in relation to the reality of the Holy Spirit. You know that in the New Testament, part of the evidence that the new age has broken in into this present age is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the prophets were saying. Times are coming, the days of Messiah, and the Holy Spirit will be at work. That's the beginning of the end. And so, part of what that means then is, I, I don't think we think about this sufficiently, but in glory, both in the new heavens and the new earth and in the intermediate heaven, we'll, we'll experience and know more of the work and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus said in John 14 or John 16 that he's given you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Not for a season. It's forever. This blessing is forever. So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, will those things be there? Of course, in greater measure. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will be with us and in us, working those things. The Holy Spirit is also the one who unites us, the bond of our union with Christ. Will that bond be reduced in glory? No, it will be perfected. We'll have more and experience more of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit is called the earnest, the first fruits, the deposit of our inheritance. And so we should expect more today. Something we've tasted, we've tasted now. More is coming, more is coming image of river in Revelation, a lot of uh, people, and I, I, would, I would include myself there, believe that part of the imagery there is presence of refreshment and fructifying, life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit with God's people. You can see that in the prophets, how the river of life and, and so on. I don't have time to develop that, but it's, it, this should be for our expectation of what is yet Coming. We have received the promise. We have received the gift of the Spirit. More is yet to come. What streams on earth have tasted more deep the drink above. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we we give you thanks for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We Thank you for this plan of redemption, for this plan of blessing Gentiles like us through the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, your eternal son and Savior. So we thank you that through him we have the forgiveness of sin and also the promise of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father. Oh, we pray that you would help us to appreciate these gifts more. We pray you go on teaching us. Take even these words 
tonight and bless them to us. Oh, and blessed Spirit of God, we pray, we ask for more, more of you for ourselves and for this, for this church, and that you would go on with your good work in us. And we pray also that you would save, Lord, bring in, bring in, bring in sinners tonight, Lord. There is yet room. Glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.